Cancer kind of surrounded me, unfortunately, uh, from the time I can remember uh, till till now. It's always, it seems like it's always been in my life. You know, well over 90% of women with LFS get breast cancer. It's almost at 100%. It is scary. I'm not gonna lie, I was very afraid. Uh, I, I lived in fear after my mom died uh, for years, just wondering when I was gonna get it, every tumor I had. Um, the future is far more hopeful and bright if you can find things early and you know about it and you just kind of take control of your own destiny as best you can. Genetics isn't always black and white and the emotions and decisions surrounding genetic testing can be even more complex. Welcome to Patient Stories with Gray Genetics. I'm Eleanor Griffith, a certified genetic counselor and the founder of Gray Genetics, a telehealth genetic counseling and consulting service. It seems like there are constantly headlines in the news about genetics, but few news stories focus on the patient experience. At Gray Genetics, we are collecting patient stories, your stories. Every other Tuesday, we share an interview with a patient or a genetic counselor. I didn't want cancer to control me. They put us in a room after and 12 of us raised our hands and we didn't know what we were forming, but we knew we wanted to help and we wanted to make a difference of some kind. And uh, a couple years later, we were a 501c3. We'd love to have a future without LFS, to be quite honest with you, or one certainly within control. Jen Perry is president and co-founder of the Lee Fraumini Syndrome Association. She is a breast cancer survivor and was diagnosed with Lee Fraumini Syndrome eight years ago at age 42. Many of her family members, including her younger sister and her two children, also have Lee Fraumini Syndrome. Jen is also a competitive show jumper in the equestrian world and a gymnastics judge. Hi, Jen. Thank you so much for coming on the show and being willing to share your story with me. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. A lot of our listeners have probably never heard of Lee Fraumini Syndrome. What is Lee Fraumini Syndrome and how did you find out that you actually have Lee Fraumini Syndrome? Yeah, it, it is a mouthful to say, Lee Fraumini syndrome. Um, it, it is a genetic syndrome, and it is an inherited uh, familiar predisposition to a wide range of certain, um, often rare cancers. Um, and this happens due to a change or a mutation in the tumor suppressor gene known as TP53. Uh, so some of the most common cancers that uh, LFS patients are affected by are breast cancers, uh, soft tissue and bone sarcomas, brain tumors, uh, acute leukemia. Unfortunately, a, a lot of the big ones you hear about lung, kidney, uh, ovarian, testicular, prostate, so things like that. So um, this hits home. How did you find out that you had Lee Fraumini syndrome? Was it after you were diagnosed with breast cancer? Um, actually, uh, my mom had breast cancer. I then got breast cancer. Uh, we had an uncle who also had leukemia. It wasn't until my younger sister got breast cancer that they started doing genetic testing with us. Well, we had been tested for BRCA1 and BRCA2. We were both negative, but they started looking at other things once my younger sister got it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Was How old were you when you were diagnosed with breast cancer and how old was she? So I had had some tumors, although they were benign starting when I was 25. And then I was diagnosed with breast cancer when I was 36. It wasn't until I was about 42 that we actually found out um, that I had LFS. And was your sister diagnosed with breast cancer at an even younger age? So she's three years younger than me. So she's my baby sister. And uh, she was slightly older than me, uh, but she was diagnosed with LFS first. And, and the thought was 
because LFS was such a rare genetic syndrome at the time that if she was to test positive with it, that they would then test me. Uh, my health insurance at the time did not cover the testing. So we wanted to see how that worked out for my little sister first, and then we would go from there. So that's kind of how it, how it went down from there. So your sister tested positive and then you tested positive. Um, and then what did, how was your testing actually done? Did you have, was it, was it a physician or oncologist or surgeon who ordered testing or did you meet with a genetic counselor? Actually, we, we ended up seeing a genetic counselor. Uh, once uh, I, I got to Dana-Farber, it was wonderful and they uh, were just absolutely spectacular with us. But uh, the genetic counseling team there is really just uh, so thoughtful and caring and warm. And uh, they are the ones that actually recommended the testing to us. And, uh, you know, there's some incredible doctors over there and Judy Garber being one of them that specializes in LFS. And um, they're the ones that helped us through navigating getting tested for LFS. It's always nice to hear when people have a, an especially positive experience with genetic counseling. <laughs> oh, I have to tell you, uh, we were lucky enough. Um, we uh, formed a genetic counseling advisory group last year, and it's pretty spectacular. And we have genetic counselors and, and uh, positions very similar. Not every country has what we call genetic counselors here in the United States. Uh, but we have the same type of counterparts worldwide. And we formed a group and uh, Kathy Schneider out of Dana-Farber is actually my co-chair uh, with the Genetic Counseling Advisory Group. And it's really very special. And, you know, it's it's one thing to address your physical needs, but there's also the whole, um, you know, psych psychological aspect uh, to diseases as well. And it is such a critical piece in supporting the patients, family and friends, you know, basically our larger LFS community. And so when you first met with genetic counseling, was did you meet with a genetic counselor along with your sister and possibly other family members? Was it really a family session? Uh, no, uh, well, we had, we had some family uh, time together and then we also had some alone time. Uh, so I guess I could say it was both. How's that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, me and my two sisters are, are very, very close. Um, I, I just can't imagine life without them. And so we do quite a lot together. We talk all the time. Um, so I, I don't think we would ever do anything completely in a silo. <laughs> uh, so I would tell you we do things together. And then we also had alone time as well. Okay. So I, I occasionally hear from patients um, and occasionally also from physicians sort of like, well, if if you already know that it's in the family, you know, like what's the point of genetic counseling? Like why, why not just test and what's the benefit? And if you feel like you've already read about a disease, so what, what was the process like for you of going to genetic counseling and like what specifically did you find so helpful about it? Uh, are you talking about once I found out I had LFS? Or well, at what, um, did you meet with a genetic counselor before testing was actually ordered? For yes, yes. And um, we had also, you know, I had been tested for BRCA1 and BRCA2. That was kind of the, uh, the, the, the first thing that they would test you for. And uh, so we then talked about getting tested for LFS once my younger sister was um, diagnosed with breast cancer. And they said it was a pretty rare genetic syndrome, which it, it really was at the time. And uh, although it's still considered rare right now, uh, the thought process is that one in every 5,000 people probably have uh, Lieferman syndrome. But regardless, um, yeah, it was it was very good. They were wonderful with us. Uh, you know, I guess there's really no, we'll say physical risks 
for genetic testing, right? However, you know, there's, there's emotional challenges to that too. What if I test positive? What does this mean? How will my life change? Um, will it change at all? I mean, so you really don't know until I think you're faced with it and faced with an answer. I think sometimes you're mentally prepared for it. But what's great about genetic counseling is they really, really ensure that you, they try to talk to you about all the things that you might face uh, once you are tested and you get a result, whether it's positive or negative. Do you remember when you were given your positive test results and what, what those feelings were like? Uh, you know, to be quite honest with you, even after all that talking, I wasn't sure what to expect. Uh, it was more, I think, a little bit of shock and a little bit of like, I really don't know what this means for me right now. Like my younger sister, who's great at uh, researching everything on the internet, I'm not that person. <laughs> so I, I think I was like, well, we'll just kind of see what happens in my brain. Uh, I, I think that's what I was thinking about at the time. And then I, when we actually got a positive uh, diagnosis, I, I don't think I was really prepared for it, to be honest with you. Uh, but I, I always felt knowledge is power. So I was very much uh, a proponent of getting tested because... I kind of wanted uh, to take destiny in my own hands as best that I could, to be honest with you. I, I just, I felt that that was really important. What was your experience with cancer like growing up? Is part of your childhood memories, people around you and your family having cancer or not really? Oh, no. Um, very much so, unfortunately. Uh, it's kind of the dark side, uh, but it is reality and it's life and, you know, there's... Um, I always say there's no one tragedy that's worse than another, right? Um, it's, you know, when someone gets sick in your family, no matter what they're sick from, it's it's terrible. Uh, my mother was actually one of the first hospice patients in Massachusetts. Um, it was really when it was just starting and it was um, just beginning. So my mom was at home when she died, but, you know, she had cancer for seven years and she ended up dying of a radiation sarcoma. But uh, again, she didn't know she had LFS at the time. We didn't know, like I, when I first got cancer, I didn't know I had LFS either. Um, but uh, it's it was very difficult. Uh, my grandmother then moved in, my dad's mom, after uh, to help us out a little bit. And she ended up getting bone cancer. So cancer kind of surrounded me, unfortunately, uh, from the time I can remember uh, till, till now. It's always, it seems like it's always been in my life. So... Um, it's really impacted me in a very strong way. I've had several family members die of cancer on both sides of the family. And uh, I would like to just minimize that as much as I can. And, and really not only for me, but for someone else. If, you know, why do I do this? People ask me that sometimes. And, and I would just tell you if, if I could just help one more person not have to suffer or to make it better for them, it's, it's all worth it to me. Um, because I know what it was like when my mom died of cancer, I know what it's like having cancer. And um, I have two children and I pray and hope that, you know, we solve some of these puzzle pieces before they develop cancer. The likelihood is probably not, but, um, you know, so I understand. I've walked in the shoes um, and I've seen others walk in it. So uh, it's affected me my whole life. You already knew you were at increased risk for breast cancer based on your mother's history. And then you were diagnosed with breast cancer at age 36. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Um, my mother was diagnosed with breast cancer when she was pregnant, actually, with my younger sister. And um, I had just had my second child. And then six months later, uh, I was diagnosed with breast cancer myself. 
so it's very strange because we were both the same exact age <laughs> right after uh-huh. we both had children. So um, when you talk about genetics, kind of a little spooky. <laughs> it seems like ear- eerie mirroring of timing and everything, life situation. Yeah, it really was. It really was. Um, I just wish she had known she had LFS because uh, possibly the treatments could have been different. Things might have been handled. Uh, but back in the late 70s, the options weren't the way they are now. And, um, you know, I wish we had known that then, so. Mm-hmm. And in terms of your treatment for breast cancer, how, what was your surgery like? Um, you had BRCA testing at the time that was negative. Yes, so I thought it was very, 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 very important uh, that I had a double mastectomy. My mom had had a single mastectomy. And it, to me, when it came back in the second breast, I. It, it was very, very aggressive. So for me, it was really critical that I, I didn't always have to worry about that other shoe dropping off the foot. So I wanted to make sure that I was aggressive as I could um, at the time. And I had several surgeries since then. I had had a hysterectomy and, you know, several other surgeries from different types of small complications and things like that. But um, yeah, so several things, but in my mind, they were all to stay as healthy as I could. I wanted to be there for my kids. I wanted to see when they graduate. I want to see when they get married and have children. So it was very important to me. That was not that it was minor. I don't want to say it like that, but considering what I wanted to see for a long time into the future, it was minor in my mind at the time. With your diagnosis of Lee Fraumini, how has your medical care been different? Uh, very different. Um, I, I will tell you though, you know, uh, my mother had breast cancer. So even without the diagnosis of Lee syndrome, we were always being watched closely, just being high risk of breast cancer in general. Uh, that was the thought. Um, unfortunately, she passed away before we were able to uh, test her for LFS. Uh, but we did have my dad tested and he doesn't have it. So, and obviously her brother was the one that had um, leukemia. So we're pretty positive she's the one that had it. But um, it, it, it has changed. Uh, doctor's appointments look different, different kinds of doctor's appointments, um, decisions to be made. I have two children that have LFS. So as a parent, I'm not only dealing with it as a, as a patient myself, but also I'm a mom with, with two children with LFS. So at the time, you know, I wasn't sure, should we test, should we not test? I know what I wanted, but it's, it's, it's a decision that you have to make with your family members and, and really think it out. How old are your children now and how old were they at the time that you learned you had LFS? So they're 24 and 15 right now. So let's see, that would put them at about eight and about, let's see, 16. Do you have sons or daughters? I have two girls, very happy, uh, Lexi and Sam. What was your conversation with them like about your test results in the first instance? Uh, you know, it's funny. Uh, my little one was was a little bit young at the time. I don't know if it really hit home in terms of what the impact of that would be. And my older daughter, you know, being in the teenage years, um, I think they, you know, she knew she was certainly old enough to understand it. But I don't think it really hit home um, until we got tested. We got them tested. Um, but I will tell you, they're troopers and they're they're really handling it well. How old were they when they actually did get testing? I got them tested within the year after I got tested. Okay. I thought it was really important because uh, especially with all the different uh, childhood cancers that were there, we wanted to make sure uh, that we could make, you know, they were put into screening as, as best that we could get them into. 
with whole body MRIs and such and um, all the other testing that might come along with what they need to do in terms of childhood cancer. So, Yeah. How does that impact their daily lives or do you feel like it does much outside of those um, additional doctor's appointments and the screenings they have to have done? Well, I, I know in speaking with my older daughter and, and you know, she is older, but uh, it's just, um, it, it, I think every, you know, and every, every person's an individual. So I, I think it affects my children differently. And as my older daughter, um, she's experiencing some other things with it as well, but it, 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 it weighs a little bit. I will tell you that it definitely weighs on it. And, you know, after X amount of doctor's appointments, you know, it can get a little bit tough and you're like, sometimes, you know, why, why do I have to go to all these doctor's appointments? But in the end, when you know it's going to hopefully keep you healthy, you know, um, it's everyone's so grateful to have that um, and know and, and, and be as prepared as we can be for it. And uh, that's so we're very, very grateful for for the knowledge, to be honest with you. So you mentioned you've also had a hysterectomy done at this point. Yes. And what other screenings, now that you've had those surgeries, what other screenings do doctors recommend for you? Um, well, the new protocols uh, would like you to have the whole body MRIs. Uh, I w- and for everyone out there who uh, has LFS and trying to get whole body MRIs, they know it's a little frustrating. Not all insurances cover that. But whole body MRIs is one component that is uh, very helpful in screening for Lee-Fermini syndrome in terms of all the different types of cancers that are there and there's so many different types. Uh, it really does a great job, uh, you know, looking at your entire body. But I, but I will say one of the most effective things is really being aware of yourself and what's different on your body. We have several patients, several even just recently, where things are not always picked up on screenings, but just because they're aware of their own body and what's normal, what's not normal, paying attention to pains uh, for those of us with LFS, it's you have to be very aware of your body. And if something lasts more than two weeks, that's not normal, yet you have to get it checked. So I can tell you the best thing, I think with just like any other probably predisposition to anything is really just paying attention to yourself. Mm. But we have colonoscopies now every three years and you know, all those fun things. <laughs> <laughs> fun but you know what and and it's a small thing to have to have peace of mind so um but yeah there's a lot of other different types of things we do for screening that uh really ensures that we stay as healthy as we can you've been involved with the lee framini association from just about right after you learned that you had lee framini syndrome is that right yeah actually uh the very first conference they had for lee framini syndrome uh, was back in 2010 and it was down at the nih and uh, they brought about 100 patients in. And it was really, I think, in a, just an unbelievable conference on, on or symposium on many levels. I don't know many symposiums that not only have doctors from around the world, but have patients as part of that symposium. And what was really unique about the very first one is a lot of the doctors who were special, specializing in LFS had never worked, you know, I mean, they worked together, but hadn't really met each other before. And so, you know, we had researchers, scientists, doctors, genetic counselors, and patients there. And it's, it's very uh, moving when people are meeting each other for the very first time and realizing the impact they might have on each other's lives. Uh, to give you an example, uh, my, my sisters and I were sitting in a row and two, two uh, scientists turn around and, and look at us and they said, 
they asked us if we were patients and I said, yeah, yeah, we're, we're patients. And we were honestly a little bit of deer in the headlights. There was so much information and we only understood about a third of it. <laughs> um, but we were just like sponges. We couldn't get enough of it. And, and honestly, a little bit in shock. But they said something that really kind of changed my entire focus. Uh, and they said, where were the scientists and researchers? And they said, we've never met anyone with what we study. And they huh. said, you, you guys have moved us and have given us a face and, and the motivation to make a difference even more so now. And they, they just couldn't stop staring at us and we couldn't stop staring at them. And we're like, you're the ones. <laughs> and we we're both saying that to each other. And uh, it was really an incredible experience. And, uh, you know, they, they put us in a room after and 12 of us raised our hands and we didn't know what we were forming, but we knew we wanted to help and we wanted to make a difference of some kind. And, uh, a couple of years later, we were a 501c3, so we're pretty excited. That's that's awesome. So I, I I didn't realize that you were actually then part of the founding of the Lee Framini Association. Yeah, yeah, there were 12 of us that founded it, so it's pretty great. That's awesome. And now you're currently the president, is that right? Yes, I am. Um, I have that honor and privilege. And uh, one of our other co-founders, John Berkeley, unfortunately, uh, just passed away a couple months ago. He was the first president several years back um, and he really was the first one that started everything with um, it was called MD Junction it was really just a blog of less than five people <laughs> um, that's how rare it was at the time and people didn't know about it and that conference that very first conference in 2010 was really a, a great kickoff where people met each other for the very first time no one had really patients hadn't even met each other uh, before that conference so it was a very very special thing so cool what is your work like with the Lee Framini Association? What sort of activities do you do or do you uh, dedicate your time to? Is it more research focused or raising awareness or work with physicians or a mix of all of those things? It's a mix of all of that. And um, so LFSA, Lee Framini Syndrome Association, uh, like I said, we started in 2010 and we have you know a, a wide range of things that we do. Uh, but really, we're there to support our patients in our communities, and we are there for the research. So we have kind of a, a, a dual purpose there. Um, it's great to support family and friends and, and everybody. We do everything we can for our patients on so many different levels, from education and awareness uh, to sponsoring whole body MRIs to, you know, being there for a personal phone call or dinner just to support one another. Um, uh, but we also feel just as important is making sure that we'd love to have a future without LFS, to be quite honest with you, or one certainly within control. So we absolutely fundraise for the research and fundraise for things such as the conferences that I just mentioned in 2010. Uh, we just had our, our, it was our largest one we've had yet. It was well over 300 people. It was in Toronto, Canada. And uh, that is one of the things that our organization does is we help plan that conference and we actually put it on. And uh, we work with a consortium of doctors and to put that on. So it's really a very special thing. So, and it takes all the doctors and patients globally and we bring people in from all around the world. So it's, 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 it's an amazing experience. And then uh, we just launched our youth program. It's first time ever we've had anything that specializes for our youth uh, ever. And so that has been just unbelievable. So now, as I mentioned, none of us had met anyone before when we were diagnosed. Now these children have met people, uh, hopefully long before they've been in crisis, and they will actually have friends and, and support if, if they ever need it going forward. 
And, and that's pretty special. And they don't have to explain what LFS is to anyone there. Uh, it doesn't matter whether you have scars, don't have scars, had cancer, didn't have cancer. Uh, they just get it. They don't have to say anything. So it's that's been pretty incredible. We launched that program last year. So it's it's awareness, it's education, it's supporting our entire community, but it's also trying to build that future without LFS. Do you see that as happening through um, prenatal diagnosis or gene therapy, or what do you see as the different routes to get there to to eliminate LFS? Oh, I, I, you know, I have a funny feeling it's not just going to be one route. I think it's going to be um, several routes, to be honest with you. Um, hopefully we can, you know, stop it before, you know, there's lots of different avenues in which, um, you know, couples can take in order to make sure that that gene is not passed on. Uh, but then there's, again, thousands and, and who knows how many people that have LFS right now that need solutions as well. So I don't think it's going to be one approach. I do know that we are sponsoring the research for um, for those that are being aggressive and, and really trying to make a difference on all different ends of research in the spectrum with this. So uh, I think it's going to be many different approaches. And quite honestly, it, what's been amazing being in this organization is seeing how fast the science is changing and how dramatically and how quickly it seems far, far faster than I've ever seen it before. So I have a funny feeling what we know today is not going to be what we know, you know, even next year. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great that there's so many advances happening. It is. And it gives people hope. And that's one thing, uh, one mission that's really important to our organization is we, we do want to approach this from, from hope because everyone does have hope. And I think that's important. So whether you have LFS or not. So what's your feeling around um, how often leaf Ramini syndrome is identified in patients? Um, today as opposed to how often it should be identified? Do you feel like there are a lot of people who have Leaf-Fraumini syndrome where it's underdiagnosed and doctors just aren't thinking of testing them for, for Leaf-Fraumini? I do, and I actually think that's changing a little bit. Um, and I think once we can fix a little bit of the insurance piece, I think that is one barrier for sure why some people uh, don't get tested for Leaf-Fraumini is definitely their insurances don't cover it. They, it, it's still a little bit too expensive. Um, although I will tell you, most centers try to cover it, and and there are different things that help with that as well. But it's still a challenge. Um, but um, I, I think what's changed a lot is people becoming very aware of family history. Uh, you know, I, I I think about my own personal story where like my grandparents, like, they didn't know what they. They didn't tell you when they got sick. They didn't. They didn't tell you, or they didn't find out if they had cancer. Didn't certainly share that information. So a lot of times, people don't know they have even high family risks in their own family. And I think this the um, the way they used to test was very. Uh, they had certain guidelines in terms of when they would test someone, and I think that's changed dramatically. Uh, so especially with de novo cases with LFS, meaning there's no one else in the family that seems to have LFS or have those symptoms. So I think you're seeing people are getting tested more frequently for different reasons. And then there's also like some of the panel testing coming out. So I think you're gonna see the numbers as they're already going up significantly. I think they're gonna go up even more. 
Yeah, when you when you were when you initially had BRCA testing done, I think it was common just for, to do testing for the BRCA genes. And since that time, the technology has changed. So now, often, yeah, um, people even if they're at low risk for Lee Fraumeni syndrome, TP53 for better and worse is a is a gene that's included on on most breast yes. panels that that are being ordered. That's right. Yeah, we get we get calls all the time from people who didn't even I mean, they knew, but I don't think they kind of processed it. But you're right. It's on those panels. And they're like, I didn't know I I was even getting tested for this, or at least they don't recall it. And they're like, what is this? So yeah. it's it's it is becoming more common to get tested for it. And I and I think that's good in, in some ways. I do. I know there's a, at least been anecdotal, um, you know, accounts that, you know, now since we're doing this, we end up identifying people with less family history. I'm just interested to know whether from the LFSA side, you're noticing more patients calling with this diagnosis who have less striking family histories of cancer than than you may have seen in the past. Uh, well, yes, like I said, we've actually gotten several calls on that. Um, and uh, a lot of times as people either didn't know their family history, uh, they had family relatives that weren't available that they could even ask family history with. Uh, one of the things that we're actually sponsoring uh, with Dr. Josh Schiffman in the Huffman Cancer Institute is basically a family history tool. Uh, hopefully you'll be seeing that come out soon. It's, I think it's the kind of the first of its kind, but it is really important to understand your family history and not when you're getting into crisis when it's really hard to reach relatives or maybe you know, a relative has passed away. It's it's understanding your history now and being able to help make a difference in your life with that and, and hopefully make better decisions for yourself. And then if necessary, get tested for things based on what that history might show. So I think family history is, is a very, very important piece to the puzzle. It's one piece, uh, you know, it's not, the, it's not the puzzle, but it is one piece. And uh, I think um, any, any of those types of details that can be helpful uh, to making someone a bit healthier. I think that's really important. What's the family history tool that you that you just mentioned? I don't want to get it get it out there yet, but <laughs> it's coming out there. But what it, what's really great about this tool that uh, will that uh, I believe he'll be getting out there very shortly, and I know he'll be testing it soon. But what's wonderful about this tool is instead of you having to call twenty relatives, let's say, and getting everyone's family history and entering in something. For example, if you were my sister. I would just log in online, I would fill out the history that I know about with me and my family, and then I would send you the link. And then you could fill out the history of, let's say, your your immediate family and things that you might know. Let's say you know about an uncle that I didn't know about because you're an older sister than mine. So what's wonderful is every family member puts in the pieces and parts that they know. And then next thing you know, you have this great family history that you might not have known about before. So uh, it makes it I think a little bit more comprehensive uh, gets everyone involved to be quite honest with you so now you got everyone in the family really understanding a little bit more about the history and um, hopefully people can do this in advance of, of ever getting into crisis so if anything does happen it's the last thing you want to have to worry about when you find out you might have cancer or something else that might come up it doesn't have to be cancer but then you you, you have it right there at your fingertips yeah, that sounds like a great tool. Is that something that's available online at all yet? Even Not in yet, but or? coming okay. soon, coming very soon. Okay. <laughs> I'll let you know as soon as it comes out, truly, because it'd be a wonderful thing to share and we're going to get it out to everybody. Yeah, and will it, um, when it does come out, would people be able to find it on the LFSA website also? Absolutely, absolutely. Like I said, it's, it's part of that research that we're sponsoring, which we feel is just so important. Uh, Again, it is kind of that two-prong approach. It's, it's not only supporting patients, but really part of supporting patients and family is this part of it as well.
you know, I would love for people to know our our website that we have available. It has everything on there. I want people to know there are educational pieces in there. Um, if you do have LFS, you know, we have some incredible things like webinars. Uh, we have the conferences that are all, have all been on there, all the youth information. Uh, what is LFS? Uh, centers, maps, there's all sorts of things of resources that everybody can access. And even if you don't have LFS, you might know someone that does. And um, you never know when a family member or anything like that might get diagnosed. So it's a wonderful resource. We, we love getting feedback. Um, we're actually starting a, an incredible thing uh, in October. We're going to be having uh, an email will be going out to everybody. It'll be located on our site very shortly. Uh, but we're going to be having Ask a Genetic Counselor webinar. It's our first in a series. We're going to be having quarterly. So we're very, very excited and proud about this. Our Genetic Counseling Advisory Group is launching this uh, next month. So more to come on that. But that's going to be very exciting. And that really gives patients and families and friends and, and professionals a chance to really talk to genetic counselors about scenarios and concerns and, and things they'd like to have addressed. Yeah, that so, sounds really cool. Yeah, very excited about that. And we'll include we'll include the link to the LFSA website in the show notes, so people will be able to look on there to find more information about that um, all of the resources you just mentioned. Oh, that would be wonderful. And you know, if anyone wants to get involved, uh, please let us know on our website. Um, you know, that would be really really fantastic. And if anyone has any children that would like their their children signed up as part of the youth program, please let us know. So the youth program, does a lot of that happen just thinking about people being all across the country and also kids being on phones these days? Um, does a lot of that happen online or a lot of in-person meetings or both? Um, so we had our first in-person meeting. It was really uh, something we just started last year. Uh, we met at the Huntsman Cancer Institute. Dr. Schiffman actually hosted our first workshop. It was something that Honestly, it was a personal mission of mine. I just felt uh, at our last conference in Ohio two years ago, our global conference, you know, we were missing something. And I sat there looking around the room of about 200 or so people. And there was only just a couple kids and they were older uh, in their late teens. And I was just like, wow, we are missing a huge piece of, of our family. And that was our children. And they're really the next gen generation that's gonna take the torch and hopefully get it to the next level. And so I was on a mission. I'm like, we have to, we have to help and, and really develop this this group and, and be there for them. These are going to be young adults soon uh, with making their own decisions and might need guidance with making healthcare decisions and um, understanding how to handle having a genetic syndrome like this. So we took a risk. We put it together. We had uh, 21 children from six different countries come in. And I will tell you, it was life changing for everybody at that workshop, for both professionals, uh, for our organization, and for every participant that was there. It was very, very special. So, um, but uh, there were a lot of learnings. And I will tell you one thing that the people that we, you know, we were very concerned. We, we didn't know if, you know, is this going to be too sensitive for the children? Could they handle um being, you know, maybe in, in, in situations without their parents, would certain subject matter be too um, sensitive for them? And, um, you know, there's always a silver lining. <laughs> the, the kind of the funny thing was, it was really the, it was hard on the parents. The kids were like almost relieved. They were like, wow, we're meeting people our own age. And they just, they bonded, it, you know, within two days, you can't imagine, but people have left with friends and they're still in touch to this day. And, we now have quarterly newsletters that we've rolled out 
They've actually come to the conferences since and met. So these kids are following each other around. Uh, we even had a family conference in Germany and uh, five of them came to Germany. So it was it was pretty special and, and, a, and a bunch of them came to Toronto for the global conference. So it was uh, it is very special. It's growing as we do other as we visit other centers, as we travel internationally to different countries and meet families from all around the world. And, you know, as obviously as well as the U.S., uh, we have kids signing up and, and being part of it and it's growing and uh, and they're mentoring other kids, which is really special. So we're expanding it. We're making it into young adults. We're going to have a, a younger a younger portion as well. But um, as you can imagine, different age groups have different concerns and different needs and, and different ways of handling things. So we're taking it slow, but it's it's just been wonderful. That's that's awesome. That's such a I guess, um, I mean, in retrospect, a lot of things seem obvious to invite to involve the children, but really not not so obvious. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and I, I mean, I could see how uh, it's so different for a child to be diagnosed with this. And when it's in their family, it's sort of their normal, which maybe not, you know, not the case for, for most of their parents. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And um, again, we picked the teenage uh, teenagers at first, uh, ages 13 to 19, because we knew they could probably handle the subject matter, uh, but as well as the, these are the children that are going to be having to make their healthcare decisions on their own, you know, very much soon as they get into college sometimes in cases or whatever they're doing in their life. And uh, we want them to be able to have the resources and the knowledge and the confidence to be able to ask the right questions, handle the, you know, with their doctors and making decisions in their families. So, uh, and there's a lot of subjects they have to deal with, you know. Do, do I tell the people I'm dating? When do I tell the people I'm dating? What do I do when I get married? There's so many questions um, that they might have and um, hopefully be able to get to them before they're in crisis. So, um, you know, but they have, it's amazing. And the whole social media piece, it doesn't matter where they are in the world. That has been such a blessing in some ways. That's, I think, a real positive piece of social media is these kids stay connected on Snapchat and, and all over. And it's, that's just how they communicate and they love it and they're fine with it and it's kept them connected and they follow each other around the globe. So it's pretty, it's pretty exciting. Um, but we're doing our next youth workshop at Dana-Farber and Children's, uh, well, Dana-Farber's hosting it, but we're working with Children's too next August in 2019. So one other thing, again, I, meant, I mentioned the research piece and we do support the research, but putting on these global conferences and the youth workshops and all the different initiatives that are taken to support our patients and and the research, both of them, uh, you know, it takes finances. So if anyone ever wants to help, I think everybody in their in their life has been touched with someone who's had cancer. And I, I always say, if there is one silver lining to LFS, it's not just one cancer. Unfortunately, there are a few cancers that are, are very hard hitting. For example, breast cancer. You know, well over 90% of women with LFS get breast cancer. It's almost at 100%. Um, so there are a few of those cancers that are far more predominant than others. But, uh, you know, fundraising is a big piece. And if anyone would love to help, we have things like our huge fundraiser. It's an annual fundraiser. We're having that on October 27th this year in Hartford. But you can you can help online on our website. It's called Salute. So, um, and, you know, as everyone knows in Italian, that's like to good health. So uh, that started with my grandfather. He used to always say, salute. <laughs> so that's how it kind of started. And, um, but, you know, we could use the help. And, you know, every penny matters, dollar matters in helping support family and friends and putting on the educational 
uh, workshops and conferences and uh, webinars and all the different things. Uh, unfortunately, life isn't free. So any way they could help, you know, and they want to help, please visit our website uh, at lfsassociation.org and it would be uh, very much appreciated by an awful lot of people. So yeah, yeah, we'll definitely include that in the show notes and uh, direct link to where to donate to if there is one. Yeah, that'd be great. And for someone, for someone who's listening who maybe has that diagnosis of Lee Fraumini syndrome or a TP53 mutation, um, it, but they've they've not been in touch with LFSA and they're they're interested in in those support groups and activities, is the best way? Is there just a contact in, form on your website, or what's the best way for them to get in touch with, with you or with someone else there? So on our homepage, we have um, uh, actually my sister Stephanie. Uh, actually is in charge of that and she does a phenomenal job but it's called connect and you'll see it right on the home page uh, we can connect you with people in your area we can help you through things so we personally try to touch every single person that wants to connect with us uh, that's one of our goals and uh, we can talk on the phone we can meet in person we certainly have facebook we have social media we have uh twitter you name it so we're, we're on all the social media platforms as well but i think Nothing beats a phone call or, you know, an in-person meeting because uh, we do like to connect with people. So whatever is easiest for people, some people don't want to meet in person or it's just a phone call or it's just an email or it could be just on Facebook. So we're, we're accessible for everything, but there is a, a link right on our, on our homepage and it's called Connect. So and, and, you know, it's also not just for connecting to some. We get a lot of patients that. Uh, don't know where to find LFS uh, centers that specialize with LFS, although we have a lot on our website. Um, a lot of people live in areas and what we do is we actually connect them with uh, doctors that do specialize with LFS and uh, teams or genetic counselors. Uh, so we use our genetic counseling advisory group. We use our medical advisory board. We have um, a medical advisory board also that's made up from uh, specialists with, L you know, uh, physicians that specialize with uh, LFS. And um, so we can help in a lot of different ways for, for the community. You know, we are a member of NORD, which is very helpful. So that's, you know, the National Organization of Rare Diseases. So that's very helpful too, because then it helps um, some of our, the smaller organizations help support the, the, the community as best that we can by pooling resources. And they're very helpful with connecting uh, advocacy and things that we wouldn't have access to. So that's another resource for us uh, that's very helpful for our community. What would you say to someone listening who has a really significant family history of cancer? Maybe it looks like, maybe it looks like Lee Fraumini syndrome, maybe something else, and is just um, really hesitant to get testing done or to find out that information, or feels that having that positive test result might be might be more scary than empowering. Oh, that's a tough one. It's such a personal decision for everybody. Um, I, I guess I really feel that I didn't want cancer to control me. Um, so I always felt that if I knew I could do everything in my power to try to make sure that I didn't get it. Um, it, it is scary. I'm not gonna lie, I was very afraid. Uh, I, I, I lived in fear after my mom died uh, for years, just wondering when I was gonna get it. Every tumor I had, um, you know, every, biopsy done, <laughs> you know, it, it is very scary, but if I was going to get it, I wanted to get it early and I wanted to catch it early to, to be able to, to fix it 
and to get rid of it. Um, so I would, I would say that the future is far more hopeful and bright if you can find things early and you know about it and you just kind of take control of your own destiny as best you can. I mean, none of us have a crystal ball. None of us know what our future holds. Wish we did, <laughs> but we don't. Um, I, I guess for me is just, uh, if you can fo focus on that silver lining, I, I think that's a little bit helpful. Um, and really you being in control because I think uh, I don't want to give the power to cancer to disease if I don't have to if I you know as long as I don't have to <laughs> just, I'm going to try my hardest not to let's put it that way um, and sometimes just acknowledging that it is scary and giving your permission to say you know you know what it is scary but I'm still going to do it and uh, and do everything I can to make sure it stays the least amount of scary as possible so uh, it's okay to be scared and I, I think sometimes you know we're trying to be brave and you know it, it I, I think everyone just has to acknowledge that it can be very scary and it's okay to have to lean on others and to and to help each other out because we're all gonna have times in our life where we need someone no matter how stoic no matter how brave we are <laughs> I come from a very English family you're supposed to be brave and <laughs> don't need help from a lot of other people but everyone needs help in their lifetime and um, yeah I think that's what I would say to people. If you'd like to share your story, send an email to podcast at greatgenetics.com. If you'd prefer to share a written version of your story, we're creating a dedicated place on our website for this too. Reach out to us at the same address, podcast at greatgenetics.com. Great Genetics provides genetic counseling services to patients throughout the U.S. and the world using secure HIPAA-compliant video conferencing. To book an appointment, visit greatgenetics.com. If you enjoy listening to patient stories, please take two seconds to rate us on iTunes and consider taking 30 more seconds to leave us a review on iTunes. Those ratings and reviews really do help us to reach more people and to share your stories with a broader audience. You can also easily share any of our episodes through social media. You can find Great Genetics on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute medical advice and is also not a substitute for genetic counseling. Neither Gray Genetics nor any of its guests makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast. Evaluation of an individual's personal and family health history is a crucial part of genetic counseling and any recommendations.